Welcome to Not Enough Champagne, a podcast that would never submit to lazy journalistic cliche at a time of grave national emergency. My name is Corey Hazelhurst. I'm our partner in propaganda with Steve Haynes. Hey, Corey. Also joining us as the Tory leadership race warms up, it's Luke John Davis. Hello, LJ. Morning. How are we doing? Good. Well, uh, you've done a few podcasts with Steve and Steve alone recently. So part of the reason you're on is to prove that actually we're not the same person and we can be in the same room at the same time. <laughs> well, technically we're not. We're doing this on Zoom, so you're not in the same room. So there's been some heated hustings some scorching TV debates and some briefing, which has definitely left some candidates hot under the collar. Four candidates are left, so let's hear Stephen LJ's hot takes on the state of the race. eight o'clock on Monday. We've just seen the results of tonight's ballot, which seems Tom Tugendhat, or, or Tit, as I really want to call him, given his unfortunate campaign logo. Um, he, Steve, said that he wanted to serve, but the Tory party has served him notice. Uh, I see what you did there. Very clever. Very clever. Um, yeah, Tugendhat has perhaps unsurprisingly been ceremoniously technically speaking, uh, booted from the uh, contest. This is not particularly surprising. Uh, I think Tugan, I think even when he entered the race, everybody was kind of looking at Tugan Hat and kind of going, this is a bit of a long shot candidate candidacy. But he's done admirably as, as, as far as anybody that can be used to describe anybody in this contest um, in that he seems to have started to build as a result of this a little bit of a base for himself sort of thing which I'm sure he'll try to parlay into future leadership bids etc etc. Tugendhat from the get-go was viewed as the the one nation quote-unquote um, candidate for, um, for this um, but I think I think every anybody who's been paying attention to the Conservative Party knows that there aren't that many One Nation Conservatives left. Therefore, he was always going to struggle to actually get in. And his lack of government experience and his lack of meaningful base combined, and his only real shtick, his other real kind of like benefit has been, I was in the army, don't you know? wasn't enough to acquire enough uh, support to actually get him get him through to anything. He stuck around for the debate, hoping that he might have a really strong performance compared to everybody else. And that might be enough to see him through, but it was not so. First of all, he declared quite a long time ago that he was going to run in a, in a leadership election and that uh, Boris Johnson wasn't fit for office. So I think he got kudos for that. And I think going that early, long before there was actually a vacancy, kind of saw him leapfrog Jeremy Hunt for that One Nation, ex-Gorkwood squad, that kind of part of the the Conservative Party, which, you know, a large number of them were defenestrated before the 2019 election. Um, and I think if you sort of look at his 
his pitch, it was kind of, uh, uh, I am the antidote to Johnson, which it remains to be seen whether the Conservative Party membership has any kind of idea, you know, longing for that. Some, there's some interesting results. But I think the other thing you find with Tugendhat, his, his pitch was essentially, I'm a serious individual, I'm competent, I'm, I have integrity, and I have a, a long track record of public service before Parliament, which is essentially exactly the same as Keir Starmer. He was, you know, running to be the, the Tory Keir Starmer. Not surprisingly, didn't make it, but I don't think he ever intended to make it. I think he was trying to sort of plant a flag for that brand of conservatism. And despite the fact that it did look pretty obvious he would be bottom of today's ballot, he refused to fall on his sword. There's a lot of truth to what LJ is saying there and that he was trying to plant a flag. I'm less convinced it was about planting a flag for One Nation conservatism and I think it was a bit more like planting a flag for put me in the cabinet, please, like make me the foreign secretary or, or something like that. Because if you look at the, a lot of what he led off with in terms of policy pitches and, and things like that, there was no real discernible difference between him and a lot of the others. It was still focusing on tax cuts, still no solutions or real ideas given to how you how do you resolve the cost of living crisis and all of these different things. It, it, it seemed to be, in a similar way as to Kemi Badenoch, more about positioning himself or herself rather than positioning a, a wing or making an ideological stand. It's, it's interesting in a sense in that the Conservatives up until the late 70s didn't really have an ism. You know, the, there wasn't the sort of socialism or... or uh, liberalism, if you like, the the you know it, it was just sort of vaguely let's keep everything status quo, um, and then you know Margaret Thatcher came along and gave them an ism, which has been sort of comprehensively disproven, particularly from two thousand and eight onwards, and there doesn't seem to be any any kind of ideological thought, anything, any kind of serious consideration of what the Conservative Party's ideological guiding star is now. And I think that's what they are trying to argue about. And it is, you know, it has kind of descended into tax cuts and things. So I think there's a couple of things. One of them is on Tugan Hat's pitch, personally, in which, so Steve mentions the TV debates, and actually Tom Tugendhat did pretty well in the TV debates. I think he was seen as the best performer in the Channel 4 debate on Friday, and in the ITV debate last night, uh, I don't think he performed better. Rishi Sunak was seen as the best. But when people were asked, uh, who do you think would be make the best prime minister? It was Tom Tugendhat that finished top, which, if anything, maybe is just proof that this country just wants to be governed by men from Eton for the rest of time. But what his pitch was, was essentially a clean start. So I actually, I think he mentioned needing a clean start more than he mentioned being in the army which was a surprise after watching the debates. The other thing is that he got applause. He did, I think, probably better in a Channel 4 debate because there was an audience and because Tugendhat was the only one, only one of the five leadership candidates to explicitly answer the question, the yes-no question, can Boris Johnson be trusted with no? And he got, I think, support for that for being honest. And essentially, I suppose, if your, if your pitch is we are a party in crisis, we need someone to win the election. We essentially need an unknown um, to break with the cabinet. That's not a bad pitch. This election doesn't really feel like it's said what a liberal conservatism would be. But actually, I don't think 
there is room for a liberal conservatism in this conservative party. Does anyone have any final thoughts on Tom Tugendhat? I feel like he's the only one who was running that seemed to be a decent human being. Fantastic. Well, with that note of optimism, given that we've got now four indecent human beings that we're going to talk about, one of whom will be the next Prime Minister. So Tom Dugenhout got 31 votes. Kerry Badnock finished second to bottom. Uh, having watched both debates, I actually thought she was probably, apart from Sunak, who's very, very polished, I thought she was probably one of the better performers. I think she comes across as very articulate. I think she comes across as pretty personable. I think the things that she says are, I mean, as extreme as anything. But in terms of of performance, she seemed to do well. The only caveat with that is, in any of the polls that have been done of any actual normal voters, none of them agree with me. Stephen, I talked about her last week because she had a vaguely interesting idea of breaking up the Treasury. There hasn't really been any of that since and actually I think we've sort of seen these two things which have struck me which I think kind of show her uh, area in the race one of them is that in the ITV debate she claimed that the, uh, the the massive inflation we have now is down to the furlough scheme which I mean I can sort of see the logic that if you give people lots of money they might spend it and that might cause prices to increase the only caveat with that being is that it doesn't seem to be any evidence that that is what's actually causing the inflation we have at the moment yeah two years ago money got given out and therefore suddenly now we have inflation and it's not connected at all to supply chain crisis with China's zero covid policy or the Russian illegal invasion of Ukraine but just when you think monetarist economics can't get even more insane, they find another way of showing that their model doesn't work. Uh, this isn't about the money supply. Are you trust when I start talking about the Laffer curve? <laughs> but, but Liz Trust was the same as well in saying that we had to you know, the, keep tight control on the money supply, otherwise inflation would happen. You think, mate, you're not blooming Jeffrey Howe. Well, it's, it's very much just the fact that they've, they've only got one, one, one note that they know how to sing, which is just Thatcherism, just rehash, even though Thatcherism isn't relevant to solving any of the issues in the, in the 21st century. Like, so all you're left with is basically a load of, you know, Margaret Thatcher cover bands who haven't even actually bothered to learn the songs properly. And, it's, and, and Brexit... It's becoming for the Tory hard right what socialism is for the Labour hard left, right? It is, no one can ever deliver the true Brexit in the same way that no one can ever deliver the true socialism. And therefore, they are just waiting to be betrayed. You know, you will see in this leadership election promises of the earth, moon and stars to the the far right of the party, which swings their support behind people. And and Kelly Badenoch's done this, Liz Truss has done this. Uh, Suella Braverman was doing it as well before we got here. If one of them does become prime minister, they will inevitably betray that vision because it's not actually a possible vision to achieve. And it's very similar to that sort of hollow vision of socialism because the only reason that Brexit hasn't worked is because it's never been able to be implemented properly. So the second thing with Badnock that struck me is that, as you said, as you both said, she playing for that far right of the Tory party, as well as all this culture war stuff. Today, there was the envi- the hustings by the Conservative Environmental Group of MPs. Now, previously, and we talked about this on our last episode, Steve, 
Batten not to be one of those candidates that was calling into question whether we needed to have net zero by 2050, to which the only real answer is, actually, we need net zero earlier than 2050, otherwise we're all going to burn. But Badnock then seems to have U-turned today. So from a few days ago saying that net zero is unilateral economic disarmament and vowed to scrap it, she's now U-turned and is saying that actually she would hold to that commitment. Be one or the other. Like you, This is not triangulation. This sounds very much to me like Michael Gove, who is one of her most senior um, like advisors and one of the first senior people to come out and back her has been basically pulled her aside and says no you can't do that whether it be for legitimate reasons because like Michael Gove on environment stuff is actually pretty decent like he was actually a, a pretty decent like environment secretary um, when, when when he held that that position uh, but whether it's for legit whether it's because Gove's just pulled her aside and said no look, this morally or whatever, however you want to put it, that is the wrong position to take. Or he's just gone, look at the polling. Everybody agrees that net zero is a thing. Yes, you might be able to play around with how you get to it, et cetera, et cetera. But going up against, coming out against it so openly makes you look like a, a an absolute headbanger. So please, next time you get the opportunity, roll that back in some form. And... I think that just kind of demonstrates that, that that it might not be Michael Gove, maybe it's somebody else, but somebody is is whispering in her into her ear and basically going, "This is a mistake. Change it." Mm. Yeah, I was just going to say one of the interesting things is she's also tried to pitch herself as a working class conservative, talking about flipping burgers at McDonald's, um, which is also something that Liz Truss has been trying to do, talking about comprehensive education in a sense. It's interesting that that seems to be something that the ones on the right are going going for is to try and pitch themselves at that um and you know neither of them mentioned sort of their actual background i mean kenny badenoch's parents are a gp and a university professor um and she was privately educated at a fee-paying school um but she's still you know the, the narrative she's trying to sell you know flipping burgers self-made person so on and so forth um is trying to appeal to that vision of working class conservatism that's seems to be more popular on the right wing of that party than in the the rest of it and as I think it was, I'm going to mention them again, Sam Freeman pointed out, you don't flip burgers anymore at McDonald's because it's a dual heated grill. So the meat cooks evenly on both sides. Um, talking of Liz Truss's past, obviously she used to be a Lib Dem and a Remainer. Steve, as someone who is also a, has been a Lib Dem and a Remainer, which of those are you most ashamed of? Harsh. <laughs> probably being a Remainer, given how god-awful that campaign was. Um, <laughs> um, Hello, Mark, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, I still have some of them friends, so I'm not going to say that. <laughs> um, they remain the friends. They, they've all accepted the result of the referendum and moved on with their lives. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you were, we're, we're, we barely speak these days, Corey, so, uh, you know. Um, but no, on... Um... I just overdubbed my parts afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> we just had, yeah. It's like the last days of the Beatles. <laughs> yeah, but we, we, we don't <laughs> on to uh, Liz Trust. So there's, there's a couple of things, and I think actually what you brought up there about the um, her being a uh, a Lib Dem, and not just a Lib Dem, but like a staunchly anti-monarchist Lib Dem. There's some videos that have done the right uh, done the rounds on Twitter of Liz Trust speaking at Lib Dem conference, basically condemning like the monarchy and, and things like that. Um, Do so- we? I know I'm but do we think maybe that 
the future Liz Trust went back to young Liz Trust in the time machine and said, embrace republicanism, by which she meant the right of the Republican Party. She She has been on a journey more, more, more widely in terms of her politics, but also particularly in terms of Brexit. I don't really care. I don't think it it matters one way or another. People's opinions are allowed to change. And as their opinions change, they move parties. Hello, former Lib Dem PPC candidate right here, now a member of the Labour Party. Like, it happens. The Labour Party absolves you of your previous sins and welcomes your wish to atone. Thank you. I shall uh, shall deliver uh, 50 hail... Hell at and then, uh, yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, I've how's your gate skills. Yeah. <laughs> the Remainer to Brexiteer, or for, to, to kind of like the main Brexiteer candidate is a weird one, because you do have, like, Sunak, who was backing Brexit from day one, I believe has backed Johnson on pretty much everything. I think all of his Brexit credentials are solid. I don't think he's ever had a divergence. But he's now the Remainer candidate, weirdly, and a trust who, back to Remain, slowly came round to Brexit, has now become the true blue Brexiteer. It's just a bizarre situation in, in, in that regards. She's spent the, the post-vote sort of period pitching herself as um, the one going out there looking for the trade deals, looking to deliver on Brexit and painting herself in those colours. And, you know, she is definitely going hell for leather for the right-wing vote of the Conservative Party. And up until two, two and a half weeks ago, that continuity Johnson pitch that she's going for was probably a sensible one. Whether or not it's the case now, I don't think she did particularly well in the debates. She came across as a half-melted Thunderbirds puppet cosplaying as Margaret Thatcher. Trust becoming the Brexit candidate is an an argument adjacent to what LJ's was made, but essentially what Brexit has become now is as much a vibe or an attitude as as much as any sort of coherent philosophical position. And so Trust making a big thing of the trade deals that she's done, where it's essentially kind of control C, control V on most of them. But still, there's a big amount of that Brexit uh, attitude was trying to get those trade deals. What she's doing now with the Northern Ireland Protocol is disgraceful, but also is the same. And actually, she's shifted the terms of debate that even, as we've said, Tugan out and the One Nation Wing are accepting it. How did Liz Truss perform in those debates? Uh, not great. I mean, when the most notable thing that comes out from uh, out from your performance is you were at least in one of the debates, you were wearing the exact same outfit as Margaret Thatcher did, famously in a in a TV interview or a previous debate from when she was leader. No, that uh, there was the nineteen seventy nine election campaign video. It wasn't just any any video. <laughs> the video. Well, you found a way in and out of this TV studio without getting. <laughs> that is true. Um, but yeah, the fact that 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 trust has gone so hard on literally, as as, as I just said, cosplaying as, as as Margaret Thatcher, just in many ways, just demonstrates how freaking unsuitable she actually is to being prime minister. Not 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 even in the sense of ooh, Margaret Thatcher bad. Margaret Thatcher wasn't a great PM from from my perspective, but separate that. It's just the fact that her entire spiel is basically just rehashing Thatcherism, which just demonstrates 
a severe lack of ideas, a lack of vision, a, a lack of understanding about what actually matters to to, to, to the modern political world and, and, and you know, the modern elect, electorate more widely. And even the modern Conservative Party, to, party, to be frank, because they've all been banging on about tax cuts and things like that. But the polling, as I think we discussed previously, Corey, has, has shown that cost of living is the number one concern for, you know, for, for, for Tory members as everyone else. But they've got nothing to say on that. But the fact that trust is kind of falling back on this, literally cosplaying as Thatcher and trying to recreate that magic, like in the past by, you know, turning up on pictures of tanks and, and things like that as well. Um, over the past few years, it really demonstrates not just her lack of vision, but the lack of vision of her team as well. That's the dangerous thing right there with her, is that there's the, the people that she's surrounding herself are, are just... It, it's one thing to have a NAF candidate, but there's a team behind them who can kind of like make things work. Well, Johnson is London Mayor. Exactly. It's another thing entirely when you've got a NAF, ca- a NAF candidate with a, te- with a team that's NAF as well, Boris Johnson as Prime Minister. Um, but equally, probably from what we've seen so far, Liz Truss. Like, if I were the Conservative MPs, I would not be viewing what Liz Truss, what Liz Truss has done in this campaign favourably. Like, I feel like you're either all in on her now or you're not. And I do think we are probably going to about about to start to see the stop Liz Trust because I think out of all of them, she has the potential to do the most damage. Like I don't think any of them are going to be great, but like Sunak will botch things up, but it will be within the normal kind of standard deviation of screwing things up in politics. Biden Lock would screw things up within the same kind of standard deviation while screwing over a very small oppressed minority of the population yes um but trust can do all of that and so much more and i think that's the real danger for the tories if they're not careful so with with trust it's the dressing up as margaret thatcher without any of the things that actually made margaret thatcher the pm that she was because with thatcher there was an intellectual underpinning to the project that she was undertaking there was a very astute political strategy around it because Thatcher was a really good reader and a really astute reader of the rhythms of politics and she was very very good at knowing how much political capital she had at any particular time and then being able to make the most of that capital uh, case in point the order in which she took on the unions and how she took on the you know, miners unions in particular and the, the, the impression I get with, with Liz Truss is that the Tory right have, or have tried to anyway, the ERG in particular, have tried to coalesce around Liz Truss as that Brexit character, mainly around vibes, as we've said, and maybe maybe that's why cosplaying helped, you know, that's all, all leads to the vibes. But in the debates, I think consistently has been seen by the public as the poorest performer. And... I just thought she, she just seemed really nervous. And as, as LJ's already hinted, there's been a little bit of a sort of chuckle brothers aspect to her campaign as well. So there was, there was getting lost in the room. There was also in the Channel 4 debate, she delivers her closing speech down on the bow of the wrong camera. And it just adds up to this little kind of slapstick, which you don't really want in a leadership race because those sort of things really 
matter. One of the interesting things about Liz Truss, again, is that she's got a reputation for being a certain, allowing a certain leeway with the truth. Um, and again, like Kemi Badenoch, uh, particularly with regards to her background and how, you know, working class it would be in the past and, and up to now, she's kind of tried to portray herself as coming from, um, you know, a, 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 an urban uh, kind of, not quite council estate, but sort of rough urban background, when in fact she comes from one of the leafiest, nicest suburbs of Leeds. Um, she's tried to portray herself as you know, the child of hardcore Labour supporters when in fact they were Lib Dems who've switched to voting for Blair, which I don't think was a particularly unusual scenario in the, the late 90s and, and early 2000s. Her mum was in CND and she tries to sort of uh, leverage that to say that, you know, basically her parents were Arthur Scargill and Barbara Castle and look at how wonderful she is becoming a Tory now. And, you that know, would be a tempestuous marriage. Sorry, I know I keep interrupting, yeah, but... but and, and, and the stuff about education as well, you know, there's, there's multiple takes on Twitter of people who went to school with her who were saying, no, it was not the way she said it was. And she's sitting there, you know, talking about the failures of education when she started school in 1979 and left university in 1996 and was entirely educated under conservative governments. She's, she's got that reputation for being a certain amount of loose with the truth and do we really want that much continuity, Johnson? No. Well, will the Tory party choose as their next prime minister someone who has a well-deserved reputation for lying and being economical with the truth? It's a bold pitch for 2019 mantle, isn't it? Um, <laughs> we should move on from this trust to someone who's been straight and honest with the electorate and selectorate all the way down this campaign, and that's Penny Morden. Yeah. So, Steve, she actually lost support from the last vote, or should we say that, that the penny has dropped? Oh, God, that's... You're proud of that one, aren't you? You're really proud of that one, I can tell. No other journalist uh, has come up with it yet, Steve. This is why you should come to us for the puns the mainstream media were too ashamed. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Morden had a very strong start to the campaign. I think that's pretty undeniable. I think pre previously, I, I, I think in some of our conversations with uh, and, and like WhatsApp things, we basically, uh, I think I said I was I wouldn't have been surprised if Morden had a stronger than expected first round, and lo and behold, she kind of did. The issue she's got now is that she's become she well she became basically the dark horse kind of like candidate that needed to be taken down by everybody else. Um, and she hasn't helped herself by just trying to position her herself on on trans rights in a such a overly complicated and like spinning way that it's just ended up making her look like an absolute liar. So I, I thought I was going first on this one. Um, who's chairing this rubbish? Yes, you were, weren't you? Sorry, LJ. <laughs> All right. Steve hasn't said what I was planning to, so that's fine. I think what you found with, with Penny Morden or Penny Dormant is, is her Westminster nickname um, is that she she was the a plague on both your houses candidate um, for both the Conservative Party members and the Conservative Party MPs. She was not seen either as Johnsonian or as one of the ones who actively brought him down and sought to bring him down. 
Um, and she had lower name recognition amongst the members at the beginning of this than anyone other than um, Remy Chesty. You know, the reason for her popularity at the beginning of all of this was that she was none of the above. And as soon as she went from being none of the above to being Penny Morden, she started losing support. But I think one of the, the things that she's done is try to pitch herself as being both the outsider and the insider with experience. And Kemi Badenoch actually has done exactly the same with this, um, where they've tried to say both, I was completely outside of it all, I'm not connected to the Johnson administration at all, but I was a cabinet minister and I've got all this experience. And it's quite a difficult tightrope to walk, and, and I'm not sure either of them have done it. And, and I did watch the two uh, debates, which, well, it's time of my life I'll never get back again and she didn't move the dial in any way she barely registered as being there um and I think you know she she needed to build on that momentum that she generated and move from being none of the above to being a positive choice and I don't think she's done it Penny Morden is like one of these county cricketers who gets put in England team in a time of crisis who then almost has a bit of a dead cat bounce at the start and does quite well because they're quite new and no one knows how to work them out. And then actually the opposition bowlers work out how to bowl them and then you realise actually they're not very good. Super mead. Having flashbacks from the last Ashes now, that's unfair. Um, there's also a few other sort of warning signs for me about Morden. One of them is that no one in the ministerial department that she's in is backing her. And that's very similar to Johnson in 2019, where no one in the foreign office who knew him best were backing him, essentially because they'd seen him up close and knew what he was like. And actually, I was watching on Sky just before we were recording, and Anne-Marie Trevelyan, who was backing Tom Tugendhat, she's in the department, I think, for international trade. She was saying on Sky News just now that essentially Penny Morden has been missing in action preparing her leadership bid and therefore hasn't been doing who's been neglecting her ministerial duties now that's something i've seen unattributed in newspapers i've not seen anyone actually do what Anne marie trevelyan said and sort of just say it in public like that and you know you ought to know that as, as you said you know when you're the dark horse candidate they'll take shots at you and she's not she's not been able to do anything to address any of the stuff that's come up even you know when there's trust and that uh, that question from Rishi Sunak about you know which which you more ashamed of being in a dome being a man and she came back with you know I've been on a journey she expected the question she had a response to it you know and when you are you know whereas whereas Penny Moore that's been reduced to saying oh isn't it horrible that people are saying mean things in the leadership election and we need to have not remove the toxicity from politics which basically is is what they say when they haven't got an answer to the actual attacks, let's be honest. You would think that as a former magician's assistant, she'd be quite good at making things disappear. Also, just to pick on something else you said, LJ, that I, um, I didn't mention, I also thought in the debates she was very, very beige. I'm not sure I actually remember a single interesting thing she said. I think right from the get-go, there was that 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 was a, a significant issue for for, for Penny Morden. Where I think when she launched her her campaign with a video, I think I, I I described it as it was either a fantastic piece of political communication or a load of absolute twaddle with nothing important being said at all, and there was nothing in between. 
and the more time has gone on, the more and more I'm convinced, actually, no, it was just an absolute load of twaddle with no meaning behind it. It's just that somebody had been watching too much West Wing and had realised, oh, if I put snuffy Walden music on that's really kind of like inspirational over a, over a, over a speech, it will seem really patriotic. I know the cricketer she is. She's Paul Adams, the former South African left-arm spinner, who had a really weird action. And so he got loads of wickets when he first started. And then people realised, actually, all right, it looks weird, but actually playing the ball out of hand, actually, it's not that great. And then they just worked out they could milk him for, for easy runs. That's who she is. He was also barely in her campaign video. I think uh, Jonathan Peacock was in it at one point and, and tweeted that he asked her to remove him, remove him from it. I saw somewhere on Twitter that Oscar Pistorius was in it. I didn't clock that when I was watching it. But yeah, it was like... Yeah. Which honest, was all uh, stock footage. Yeah, the, the, the vibe I got it from, to be honest, was the day-to-day, not, not last week. If you were running for Prime Minister and could have one killer in your opening launch video, which killer would it be? <laughs> no comment. I still um, want to have yeah. a political career potentially. <laughs> a shark from Jaws. Because <laughs> it was fictional. Speaking of slick performers, LJ... Is it time to move on to the person who is the front runner at the moment, Rishi Sunak? And he's the front runner amongst the MPs. I'm not sure he's the front runner amongst the membership. I think he um, he certainly improved in the second debate from, compared to the first one. He in the first debate he came across as geeky, wonky, nervous, not really sure of himself, slightly gleeful at having slain the older figure but not sure what to do with it now and he basically came across as a Tory Ed Miliband. In the second debate he looked like a Tory Ed Miliband who was trying to copy Tony Blair's speaking style after taking lessons from a used car salesman in how to do it and coming across as a children's TV presenter. That would be basically my assessment of his, his debate performance. I think he's Seen as being the sensible pair of hands because he sense to wants he says he wants to deal with inflation before cutting taxes and at least he's he's not of the belief that the Laffer curve means that tax cuts always pay for themselves and therefore it doesn't matter how many you do, um, which does seem to be the mantra of the others in the race. You know he has been front and centre with a lot of the bits of the pandemic that the general public generally liked, which was things like. Um, the, the economic support packages and the furlough scheme and stuff like that. Um, I think he will get, he will definitely get through to the final two. I'm, I would not bet on him winning though. I think he does have an issue as coming across as the, um, to, as the geeky, not really sure what to do, quite nervous. It's not prime ministerial. He's also, I think, five foot six. Um, now, you stick him next to Joe Biden and he's half a foot shorter. And that actually does matter. The, 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 it shouldn't, but it does. Um, and I think that is a, a presentational problem for him, which actually I think is a bigger issue in terms of coming across than, than his race amongst the Tory membership. You know, th- there was a reason that Penny Morden surged at the beginning amongst the membership, and that was because she was none of the above. She was seen as being neither Continuity Johnson nor the ones who brought him down, and Sunak is both. He's the favourite amongst the MPs. I don't think he'll win amongst the membership. 
I don't think necessarily Sunak's height in and of itself is the issue. I think Sunak's obsession with presenting himself as though he's above average height um, or, or of, of average height um, is the issue. Like, this is a guy who has been very image con- conscious, I think it's safe to say, throughout the entirety of his uh, time in, at the front of British politics. You know, we, we've end, people have ended up kind of mocking him for signing his name on things and, and all of that sort of stuff. And it, a lot of that, I think, just comes from a, a lack of confidence in how he uh, in, in, in how he looks, which probably does stem partially, at least somewhat, from his height. But it's just that lack of confidence and his overcompensation for it that's the issue. Like there are, like Sarkozy was not particularly tall, but no one really gave too much of a crap about that. But equally, he's at this point probably the safe pair of hands compared to to, to the rest of them. Isn't he the, the he's the known cat? He's in the known quantity. He's the one who will, they're not going to necessarily expect to win the next election with him, but it doesn't matter if he gets damaged, if he's damaged goods, you know, it's, it, it's fine. Like I can Im- easily imagine him getting over the line potentially with the, with the membership just about um, on that basis alone. But really it boils down to who is he up against? If it's trust, he probably just edges it, but it's still going to be narrow. If it's mordant, we probably end up with more than winning. In terms of the British Snacks height, I think it's a presentational program problem, if only because the way he tries to deal with it then is to get himself filmed on steps and yeah. stairs with it, which I think just feeds into the attack that essentially it's all about presentation and surface level issues and isn't actually about, and that it's all surface and spin and there's nothing more underneath which i don't think is helped by him i mean we talked about this trust cosplay margaret thatcher rishi sunak cosplayed say tony blair or david cameron on the debate on sunday down to the open neck shirt the labor attack lines write themselves i mean you know you can pin anything that was johnson's government you can pin to him you know he got fined by the police for attending a party all of, you know, he's the chancellor who's delivered record, you know, inflation and the cost of living crisis and everything else. You know, you can turn around and say, and that is the biggest issue for, for voters. There's no two ways about it. And they can turn around and say it happened on this guy's economic watch. And you can, you know, destroy the Tories reputation for incompetence on the economy. I mean, that's a gift to the Labour Party. But, and I think it's interesting, actually, that there's been a few people, I think, on the, on the left of the Labour Party uh, who have sort of say well if Johnson goes that's it because Keir Starmer's just spent all this time sort of talking about honesty integrity shooting your face Starmer and if there's a change of leadership then the Tories are the 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 Labour are stuffed and actually I think if it's a combination of uh, I think Starmer's done a pretty decent job at tarnishing the whole Tory brand the fact that they haven't got rid of Johnson and they've waited so long it has toxified the party um, and I think that's partly because the Tories have dithered to get rid of him. And I think it's partly because the attacks that Starmer's done, Charge of Light Brigade, all that kind of stuff. But I think it's also if Sunak does win, then that's this is your issue, isn't it? Like the attack lines write themselves, and the the but the public are. I mean, the, the public at the Channel Four one. I mean, blimey, Charlie, if they're sort of ordinary floating voters, the lack of trust in politicians, the despair at the lack of options on cost of living, the lack of trust in politicians, the Tory party in particular. I mean, I don't see 
Sunak really dealing with that. I think the other thing is, before I bring you in, LJ, is I, this is maybe a bit more of a philosophical question, but the, the impression I get is people like Tom Tuganak because he was authentic. So he was giving straight answers to straight questions. And I don't think really, I, I, we've said this before and a few times, Steve, I think people want authenticity from politicians. And I don't think that Sunak's brand of kind of slick, polished professionalism, leadership, you know, glossy leadership video done four years in advance, website registered before the date of the internet being launched. I don't think that's really what people are looking for in politicians nowadays, really. And that's a bit of a wider question to kind of throw in there when we've been speaking for an hour. But I don't, I don't think that's really what the public are looking for at this particular point. Before having watched the debates, my impression was that if we assume it's probably Sunak or Morden or Truss who make the final two, my impression was that Truss isn't really a great performer. I can see her not doing well on some of some speeches. Sunak, yes, he's polished, but actually on his leadership launch only took three questions, one from, from Beth Rigby on his tax affairs, and I think she was booed. And obviously, when that happened to Jeremy Corbyn, and that and his supporters booed a journalist asking awkward questions. That was seen as absolutely terrible, isn't the Labour Party terrible and hates all journalists and isn't this the intolerant left? Of course, when the Tories do it, no one really cares and it's absolutely fine. But it was this sense of Sunak only takes three questions and leaves. And I think there is a brittleness there that I could see him being found out as well. So I assume that maybe Mordant could be either of them because I think she's more of a public performer. The impression having watched this debate is that maybe Morden might not make as many gaffes as those two. It's just that no one will remember anything she says. Well, I think that's true. But I also think actually Trust didn't make many gaffes, didn't make any gaffes during the, the two leadership debates. No, apart from camera mm-hmm. aside. If, it, if they are the final two, which I think is the most likely scenario. I could well see that actually, you know, there's a limit to the amount of hustings they end up doing and that they get very because it's in both of their interests to have them in very prescribed rules. Um, you know, there's a reason that it was those two who pulled out of the Sky one, which has led them to cancelling that debate. Um, I think Kemi Badenoch thinks that Rishi Sunak is going to win. She notably was not attacking him at all in the first, the Channel 4 TV debate. And in the second one on ITV, she was parroting some of his um, economics lines. You could never rule out a surprise being thrown out, but I do think the way it goes is that Kemi Bathnot goes out, that supports things behind trust. She and Sunak go through, and I do. Th- I, I just have a sneaky suspicion that trust will then beat Sunak. If you if you forced me to bet a tenner, which my younger brother actually did, um, I would say that uh, Liz Truss will be the next prime minister of this country, and that's really depressing. My my gut instinct says it's. I just feel like it's more likely to be Sunak than anybody else in terms of overall victory. But as I say, as I think I said before, it really depends on who gets through to that that final two. Um, I think based on the polling that's that's been done, and like uh, especially like Conservative Home have been running like you know head to head polling throughout the uh, the contest, and it, it's been quite quite interesting reading, kind of seeing the different. Um, like fallouts from the from the various events and and TV debates and and things and conservative home tends to be pretty damn accurate as a representation of the uh, wider conservative party membership and Sunak's doing all right against trust it's close but he just gets over the line and 
I don't know, like I feel, I don't think Sunak has gaffes. I just think moving forward, I just think Sunak's just going to be very boring. Truss, I think, has a much more of a potential to have a gaff moment. Given before this point, all everybody knows about her is cheese, pork markets, uh, and all of those sorts of things. Very memeable, but not necessarily something that people will be impressed with in, in, a, in a prime minister. And all it takes is one of those moments to come up and she's done for. Um, so my my gut instinct says Sunak, but not by with any great enthusiasm, either from myself or indeed from the Conservative Party that votes for him. Yeah, I think I think that's certainly possible, and I wouldn't be I wouldn't be hugely surprised if that happens. If you're Rishi Sunak and your favourite, presumably there are two different ways of running this. One of them is that you think I could lose the trust given where the membership is. I might lend some votes to Morden to see if he gets in the final two. I don't think he will do that because I think that Sunak wants to be the establishment choice and that two MPs are going to Sunak in exchange for a ministerial job, whether that's explicitly or not put out in public. You've on the phone to Tom Tukenhat saying, how do you advance the Foreign Office if you swing your vote for me? Yeah, exactly. So, and, and if from what you're implying, we maybe think Badnock has had those kind of conversations as well. So... I think if you're Sunak, your strategy is fine. Let's see if we can get as much of Badnock plus Tugentat plus maybe even more, some of Mordant's as well, if there's any ambition there. I mean, Suella Braverman endorsed Truss, but Truss only increased votes by, what, half a dozen today? Seven? Well, Badnock got 27 votes last time. So... That doesn't really that in terms of we, we thought trust Badnock Braverman that Tory right was a bit of a block doesn't seem that solid if you can only get seven of your twenty seven votes. I think if you're Sunak, what you say is right. Let's become the overwhelming victor in Tory MPs, and you basically then say to the Tory members, "We can have a contest, but are you really going to own the Alexa? Are you really going to make the person not backed by the most Tory MPs Prime Minister?" Really? Are you going to do that? If you are that ERG Brexiteer wing of the party, I think actually, you know, you, you backed Sweller Braverman previously. I think actually going, do you know what? Let's take out Tom Tugendhat. Let's make sure that Kemi Badenoch has a significant vote total so that she is guaranteed to be in the next cabinet, whoever wins, and that, you know, our rising star gets, gets a leg up. Um, then we can swing behind trust because we know that those two combined is going to beat Penny Morden, you know, and then we take on Richard Sunak, get Liz Truss, get lose the election, peddle a betrayal narrative and move on. Th- there was nothing for them to lose, given that it was fairly obvious Tom Tukenhat was going to be the one going out in backing Kemi Badenoch, raising her profile as the rising star. That doesn't necessarily surprise me. And I don't necessarily think that it's indicative of weaknesses to trust all right so final two who's it going to be steve sunak trust lj sunak and trust i really but- makes me want to go sunak and more than just so i can be wrong again but <laughs> i think it probably is going to be sunak and trust isn't it and who wins lj i, I think trust sunak i think sunak wins 
Sorry, Britain. <laughs> I just doomed this through. <laughs> Liz Trust Professorship. Uh, if you're listening to this on the normal podcast feed, if you, uh, there is a slightly longer version, which will be going out to our backers on Patreon, isn't there, Steve? Uh, yeah, there is. And, uh, and as I'm just glancing at the uh, <laughs> the, 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 the timestamp, uh, over an hour and a half's worth of discussion uh, available to backers on, on Patreon. So if you head over there, blink us a couple of quid every month, you'll get access to you know unique content like the full discussion here like un- unedited Corey or like I'm definitely edited we're not that good <laughs> I, uh, I mean I, we're not I, as self-indulgent as Ian Dale and Jackie Smith in For The Many we don't record two and a half hour episodes and put them out honestly <laughs> um but yeah so uh, uh and some 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 more content for you to uh, get your teeth into um for a couple of pounds a month uh yeah everything goes towards helping run the uh, podcast and as long as uh you know we're we're getting funding to do that this can continue in perpetuity our website is not enough champagne.com <laughs> our facebook page is facebook.com forward slash not enough champagne james cram does another logo you can follow him on twitter at james cram and dave Deffer composed our theme tune Pookie good times I'm at Paperback Writer, Steve. I'm at Acoustic Radical. LJ. Uh, at LJD Labour. Happy plotting. <laughs> <laughs>